You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning, Redemption Church. It's good to see so many of you here this morning as we worship the Lord. And it's uh, already been such a joy to worship together through scripture reading, through prayer, through song. And now we turn to our part of the service where we worship the Lord through the heralding of his word. And today we'll be looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. So turn there in your, in your Bibles, and the words will be on the screen. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Let me read God's word for us. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so encouraged, Lord, by your great love and mercy that you've provided for us in your blood as we've sung, as we've prayed, as we've read. Father, surely Jesus was indeed the greatest servant who has ever lived. Lord, Jesus was clothed in incredible power and dignity and worth and glory as your beloved son, fully God, but yet he humbled himself. He became a servant to us, putting our needs ahead of his own so that we might be saved and so that he might receive his glory. Father, we thank you for the humble sacrifice and service of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that as we now look to this leadership position in this church, this position, this office of deacon, Father, we pray that each and every one of us would aspire to serve in the same manner as Christ has served us. And Lord, that you would go before us and prepare those who would serve in this special office, who would be particularly dedicated to this work of service in the church. Father, we pray that as your word is heralded and proclaimed, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see the beauty of the glory of Christ as we study your word together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about 
one of the key leadership offices in the church. We talked about the office of elder, this biblical teaching of a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors who shepherd the church of God together. And we looked at 1 Peter 5. And so this week, we're going to continue to think through the leadership of the church. And now we arrive at the second office that the scriptures give us, which is the office of Deacon, the office of deacon. So like any teaching of scripture, there there tends to be a problem that we have as we approach the Bible. And the problem is this. It's not God's word. It's it's us, right? Because each and every one of us, we've grown up in a background that can in many ways greatly shape how we interpret or how we understand God's word. And that's the challenge as we think about the offices of leadership in the church, that if you have a church background, and if you grew up in the church in any capacity, then, then you've just got certain presupposed ideas from your upbringing about how the church is to be governed, how the church is to be led, and, and how the positions of elders or pastors and, and deacons, how that works and functions in a local church. You've got presuppositions because you grew up with a certain understanding of those things. And what happens is, is that a lot of times that prior understanding affects how we read and interpret God's word. So if you're like me, for example, and and if you grew up in Baptist circles, my father was a Southern Baptist minister. I grew up in Southern Baptist churches, right? So I've been Baptist all my life. And so as a, a born and raised Baptist, if you're like me, you probably tend to think of the deacons of the church as as the grumpy old men who meet once a month to keep the pastor in check, right? <laughs> That tends to be the way a lot of us think about deacons and the way I've, I've thought about deacons. And so we, we think that, that the deacons wield a, a lot of authority in the church. We, think, we kind of put them on a, a, a pedestal. We think they, they carry a lot of clout in the church, almost like a, a sort of board of directors for the church to, to make sure everything's running right and to make sure the pastor's not getting too out of control, right? So, so we often think that, that these are the deacons. And these deacons aren't necessarily very spiritual, but more often than not, the, the guys that end up being deacons are the movers and shakers in the church, right? They're the men with money, with prestige, with popularity, and they exert their own authority on the church. But this understanding of the office of deacon that I grew up with, and I'm sure some of you probably grew up too, is, is severely warped from what Scripture actually teaches about the office of deacon. You see, deacons aren't board of directors, <laughs> nor are they an authoritative body in any capacity to lead and guide the congregation. But rather, the deacons exist to serve. You know, the deacons aren't a group like some, some counter group in order to keep the elders in check. Right? It's not like our, our, our government where we have the House of Representatives and the Senates, right? And there's, there's kind of this tension between the two to make sure everybody's you know, not getting too out of control. And so they end up getting nothing done. But you know, that's a whole other story. But, but it's not like that in this church. It's not like you got the deacons over here versus the elders competing in some way for leadership in the church. That's not what the, 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 the diaconate is supposed to be. As we see from the scriptures, particularly in Acts chapter 6 this morning, we learn something really simple about deacons. It's not really that complicated. Deacons are servants. They're servants. That's what the word deacon means in the New Testament, right? They, they're servants. They're table waiters. It's almost a, a more literal translation of that word, deacon. 
And so in Acts chapter 6, as we look at this text together, we observe that that conflict arose from within the church, the early church, and the conflict is over the care of the widows. And so the apostles set aside deacons to care for the practical needs of the congregation so that the apostles then might be able to devote the extent of their time to the ministry of the word of God and prayer. So here's kind of the the sermon summary in a sentence. Ready? The deacons are humble servants commissioned by the elders and the congregation to care for the practical needs of the congregation or of the church, right? So the deacons are humble servants. They're commissioned by the, the church's elders and the congregation itself to care for the practical, tangible needs of the church, That's what deacons are supposed to be. So as we unpack this New Testament office, this important office of deacons, we're going to consider a few different areas. We're going to consider the need for deacons, the purpose of deacons, the selection of deacons, and the fruit of deacons. Those will be on the screen, but but let me give them to you more time. The, The need for deacons, the purpose of deacons, the selection of deacons, and the fruit of deacons. So let's talk about that that first point there, right? The need for deacons. We see this particularly in verse 1 in Acts chapter 6. So the need for deacons emerges out of a church that is rapidly growing, right? As we read the book of Acts, we see the church just kind of explode, right? That, that ever since uh, the Spirit came upon Peter and the rest of the, the apostles on the day of Pentecost. The church was, was rapidly expanding, right? Remember, just on Pentecost, 2,000 people came to know the Lord through Peter's message and sermon that day, right? So instantly, the church in Jerusalem is a mega church by today's standards, right? There are 2,000 people that you got to care for, love, provide for, teach. And so it, it's, it's a huge, rapidly growing church. And from there, we see that the church continues to grow. It didn't just stop at 2,000, but the church is getting bigger. More and more people are professing Christ as Savior and Lord. And as the church grew in number, so did the complexity and the logistical challenges of caring for that many people. Church growth is messy. If you've ever been in a church before that's rapidly growing, it's kind of chaotic. I mean, you're kind of figuring things out as you go, and the logistical challenges can become quite intense. So a church that that grows and matures requires a more complex structure to, to help care for the people. It requires change and adjustment. When the gospel is doing its work and when Christ is saving souls. So in the gospel growth of the early church, things are happening. Things are moving. People are getting saved. People are coming to know Christ. The glory of God is, is spreading as Christ's lordship spreads. But all of that began to slow down and potentially get thwarted because of conflict within the church. And this is why Luke includes this in in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, right? What's the conflict? What's going on? The church is is growing. Things are happening. Things are moving. What's there to get upset about? Well, we see the conflict was fueled in many ways because of cultural tensions within the church. Cultural tensions between the Hebrew Christians 
and the Hellenistic Jews who are Christians, right? So let me explain to you a little bit about the cultural dynamics here so you know what's going on. So, so the Hebrew Christians are native Palestinians. This is where they lived. It's where they grew up. They're Jews, right? Every, every Christian is a Jew at this point in the book of Acts, right? And so they, they're, the Palestinian, the Hebrews here, they spoke Aramaic. They're very culturally Jewish. And then you had the Hellenistic Christians, which were Jews as well, but they were, were, were Jews that were dispersed all throughout the Roman Empire, and they didn't speak Aramaic, they spoke Greek, right? So you have a lot of things going on. You got two different groups of Jewish Christians coming from different backgrounds who even spoke different languages, all within the same church, and yet in Christ... Right? The gospel unifies. It, it brings people from different cultures and backgrounds together in one body. It's part of the, the beauty of what Christ does in the church. But as this is happening in the book of Acts, tensions begin to bubble and emerge in the church. And the tension is over the care of the widows. The Hellenistic Jews were being neglected. Their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, this probably wasn't malicious or in any sort of way. It was probably just the logistical challenge of, hey, we don't know how to talk to these people, right? There's a language barrier there that's difficult to overcome. So caring for the practical needs of the church, this, this neglect of the Hellenistic widows, it began to create conflict within the body of Christ. The ball was being dropped in, in, to a certain capacity. So the apostles came up with a plan. And what's the plan? Well, the plan is, well, let's set aside a group of men for this particular purpose, to care for these Hellenistic widows so they're not neglected. And so they, they decide to set up a group of men for a specific purpose, which was to serve tables, or as it says in the original language, to deacon. <laughs> we need men who can deacon, who can serve tables, who can make sure the widows have their food to serve so one of the important things we learn today about deacons is that deacons are task-oriented servants. They're task-oriented servants. They are not some sort of governing board in the way a lot of times we think about them. We don't ever see that anywhere in the New Testament. They, they aren't a governing board, but they are the on-the-ground, in-the-trenches servants of the church. They get things done, right? Deacons are given a specific task, to fulfill by the church, and they do it. And here in Acts chapter 6, what's the task that these first seven deacons were giving? Make sure the Hellenistic widows have food to eat. That's your task. Go do it. You don't need to form a committee to do that. Just go do your job, right? We've given you a task. Go and do it. Now, this is very different than a lot of the ways you and I have been raised, many of us, to think about deacons. Because, again, the image as we think about deacons is some sort of group of men making business decisions for the church, that kind of monthly meeting that they have. But this is, this is not what we see in the New Testament. The deacons serve the practical, hands-on needs of the congregation, and they're assigned a specific task to fulfill. So because deacons are task-oriented servants of the church, the specific work of deacons isn't the same from church to church. In fact, each church will have different needs because it's different people, right? And so the deacons of the church change in their tasks depending upon what the local church needs at the time. So each local church has the freedom in Christ to determine what the, the deacons ought to be doing or what deacon we need to do what. So each local church has the freedom to do that. So in some churches, you know, there will be a need to set aside a few people in the church, a few deacons for the caring of the widows. That's your job. 
care for the widows, cut their grass, help them with their groceries, make sure they have everything they need, build them a ramp, whatever it needs to do, you make sure the widows in the church are cared for. And that's it, right? That's your job. Other churches, you maybe, um, maybe you're trying to set up a book table as a congregation. That's something we hope to do at Redemption and, and to, to be able to sell good resources at a discount to our members so they can grow in Christ. Well, well, you got to have somebody to order the books, to keep track of the inventory, to keep track of the finances of that. Well, maybe we need a deacon to, to be responsible for caring for that practical, tangible need in the church. Or, or maybe you need a deacon who can just coordinate volunteer schedules, right? Make sure everybody's scheduled and knows where they need to be and, and make sure everybody's trained and, and serving in whatever capacity they do. Maybe we need a couple deacons to, to help the elders with the administration of the finances of the church. You see, each deacon is given a specific job to do based off of their gifting and their qualifications. So there's never a need, at least from the scriptures we see, right? There's never a need for some sort of monthly deacons meeting. That's just, you don't see that the need for that. The deacons ought to be too busy serving and doing to have any sort of bureaucratic meetings, right? They've got an area of responsibility, and they have the freedom and the responsibility to make sure that job gets done. So, so what sort of deacons will we have at Redemption Church? Well, we, we aren't entirely sure yet. We're figuring that out, right? Oftentimes, the need for deacons reveals themselves as the church grows and expands. So the selection of deacons and what those deacons will do really depends upon the needs of the congregation at the time. So as Redemption Church gets established, as we grow by God's grace and see new people come to know Christ, as the church matures and grows, there are going to be certain areas in the church where it's going to become very evident that this is an area of need and it's actually distracting the elders of exercising oversight and care with the word of God over the congregation. And when that happens, then the elders in the church are going to say, all right, well, we need a deacon to do this. Let's find a deacon from within the body to serve in this particular area and let's install them and let's let them get to work. So as the needs of the congregation of the church expand, so too will the number of deacons and the number of tasks the deacons need to, to complete. So that's why we see the need for the deacons here in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But, but let's secondly consider the purpose of the deacons. I've, I've alluded to that a little bit, but let's look at it a little bit more explicitly. And we see this particularly in verse 2 through 4. The purpose of deacons. Why do deacons exist? What are they to be doing? So if the need of the deacons arose out of the, the rapid rise of the growth of the church and the logistical needs of the early church, the, the purpose of the deacons is really quite clear in verse 2 through 4 as the apostles give the instructions for the position to be formed, right? There are a lot of important areas of need in the church, a lot of them. And it's impossible for the church to hire enough staff or to train enough elders to meet all the needs of the church. It's just impossible, right? So as the church grows and as the church grew, it became impossible for the apostles to meet the needs of the widows. They just couldn't do it. There, there was too many of them. There's too many people involved now, right? And so they just couldn't keep doing what they were doing. So they simply didn't have the time. And after all, the, the apostles said, well, we have to prioritize what the Lord has specifically called us to do, right? Which is the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what God is specifically calling us to do. And there's only 24 hours in the day and we can't do it all. We need help. We need servants. We need deacons. So it's not as if the apostles thought to themselves, well, 
I'm an apostle, right? I, I'm not a table waiter. That's, that's kind of beneath me to do. I need to, I need to get somebody else to do that because I don't want to do it. No, that's not the attitude here at all, right? The, the apostles aren't delegating this work because they're too good to wait tables as if it was beneath them in any way, but rather they had to prioritize their time and effort and energy in serving the church with the word of God. This, this was their unique area of contribution. So the apostles knew that if they themselves took care of making sure the widows were fed, then they were not able to instruct and shepherd the church as it needed. So, so let me give you two key purposes of why deacons exist. The first one is, is pretty clearly stated here, right? Deacons free up the elders to prayer and ministry of the word. Deacons free up the elders in the church to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is one of the main purposes of the deacons is to help offload some of the nitty gritty work so that the elders can focus on the ministry of the word. Now it's interesting as you look at your text, right? The apostles say we're setting aside you guys because we got to be in being part of prayer and the ministry of the word. It's interesting here that you could literally translate this phrase, the deaconing of the word. <laughs> so our elders deacons. Well, yeah, kind of. They're, they're serving. Right? They're serving the word of God. That's their responsibility. They're, they're deaconing the word while we're setting aside deacons to, to deacon the other parts of the church. Right. So, so the apostles have the responsibility of caring and handling the scriptures for the church. It's their primary task and their calling. The deacons are to care for the practical needs of the body so that the pastors can focus on deaconing the word. That's what their job is. The deacons operate underneath the authority of the elders and are directed by the elders to accomplish their ministry tasks. So I heard a pastor put it this way, and I think it's a pretty helpful way of thinking about this. So he said, elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. That's a pretty good way of, of summing it up, right? Elders lead the ministry, deacons facilitate the ministry, and the congregation, the members of the body, they do the ministry. So that's a helpful way of thinking through this. The elders lead, the deacons facilitate, the congregation does. And so the deacons, in many ways, they operate as an extension of the elders' leadership in facilitating and coordinating and orchestrating people in the congregation to do the work of ministry. So how, how will we know if there's an area of the church where we need a deacon for? How are we going to think through that? Well, it's pretty, pretty straightforward is that if the volunteer position requires the facilitating and coordinating of church members, then chances are it's going to need a deacon to do it, right? To, to coordinate and facilitate. So being a greeter at Redemption Church won't make you a deacon, but leading and scheduling the, the first impressions teams and the setup teams at Redemption, well, that's a great opportunity for a deacon to step in. Why? Because they're facilitating, they're coordinating, they're leading, they're orchestrating. So it's not that the elders are too good to do this type of work. It's just that they can't do it all. They can't do it all. 
We can't expect them to do it all. They need, we want, we as a congregation should encourage them and prioritize the church to focus on the ministry of the word of God and prayer and in the shepherding of the people of Redemption Church. That's what we want their energy to go to. That's what we want their focus and attention. We don't want them to be burdened by volunteer schedules and logistics. That's not their job. That's not their responsibility. We need them to focus on deaconing the word. And so a healthy deacon ministry in the church, it keeps the church running smoothly it keeps the, the excellence factor high so the church is operating well and efficiently while at the same time the deacons are, are serving the church by freeing up the time of the elders to build up the congregation with the word of God. So that's one of the first purposes, right? To, to free up the elders' time. But this is a second purpose we see in the text that you might not have thought of. And it's that deacons are agents of unity. They're agents, agents of unity. They get unity accomplished. Because remember that the deacons were formed in the furnace of conflict. And the deacons are to diffuse tension within the church. That's one of their primary responsibilities, right? So deacons serve and care for the body in such a way that they bring unity to the body of Christ. They are conflict resolvers. They are agents of reconciliation. When the ball is being dropped by someone or in some way, then they step up and they make sure the ball stays in the air, right? They serve, they help out, they care. So deacons serve the entire membership of the church, the whole membership, the whole body of Christ, even though a deacon might have a particular assignment or a particular ministry that they're focused on, the ultimate aim isn't just that ministry. The ultimate aim is the unity of the whole congregation. So deacons don't play favorites. They don't just serve who they like to serve, right? They serve everybody. They do their ministry to the entire congregation. And by doing so, through their servant leadership, the whole church is built up in unity as Christ wants it to be. You see, it's really easy for ministries within church, churches, to begin to develop some sort of turf war with one another, right? That you've got different ministries that, that fight for time, for attention, for resources, right? Just wait till budget time comes every year, right? Everybody wants more money to do their ministry. And again, the, the desire behind that is good to do ministry, but it isn't, quote, their ministry, is it? The aim, ultimately, of the deacons is not just to, to siphon off a portion of your church for your own turf, but it's rather to serve the entire church of God, right? So God, God good deacons then, good deacons understand that, that their ministry is not the most important ministry of the church. Sure, it's important, but they should have an attitude in which they're not offended when resources and intention goes to other ministries rather than their own. Remember, deacons are to be an extension of the elders' leadership of the ministry in the church. So the elders are the ones establishing the direction and vision of each ministry in the church. And so deacons then are implementers and coordinators. The deacons are given a lot of freedom, right, to do ministry, to lead their ministries, but they do not do so in a silo ministry. You know what those are? It's like a, a, a farm silo, away from the barn, off in the corner, doing its own thing, right? It's disconnected from the main vision and direction of the church. It's just kind of off on its own. That's not the way deacons should operate. Deacons should see themselves as a part of the whole body of Christ, and they should implement the vision of the church as directed by the elders, not their own personal mission. 
So this is in sense why good deacons then ought to be preservers of unity in the church. Because when conflict begins to erupt, deacons are selected by the church in order to, to meet a need in the congregation to put that tension away. They care for the practical needs of the congregation, coordinating and directing the ministry so that the elders can focus on the ministry of the word of God and prayer for the saints as they shepherd the flock. So again, as we're thinking through deacons, this might be a very new way of thinking about the deacons. So if they're not an executive board, but they're the on the ground servants of the church, That leads to the next question, right? How should the church identify its deacons or how should deacons be selected? And we see this in verse five through six, the third point, the selection of deacons. So as we look to Acts six, we see that the the apostles instructed the church to identify seven men to handle the distribution of food to the widows. That's their task, right? And, they, and, and the church is to, to find and, and raise these men up. They are to be men of good repute, the scripture says, full of the spirit and of wisdom. These are spiritual, godly people who are well thought of and recognized for their maturity in Christ by the church. So the church chose seven men to serve in this role in Acts chapter 6 as deacons. The church laid their hands on them, prayed for them, and said, Get to work, right? Do your job. So, however, to to really grasp the qualifications of deacons and how we select them here, I think it's better to go to a a sister, a cross-reference passage over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let me invite you to turn over there to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we look at the list that Paul gives us for the qualifications of deacons. So turn over there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So from these lists of qualifications, we see the importance of character. Just like elders, right? Character is important in selecting who these deacons are going to be. Deacons are to be dignified, right? They're not there to be truth tellers. They're not addicted to wine. They're not greedy. They, they hold to the gospel of Christ with a clear conscience. They're to be tested and proven that they're ready for the service in this capacity. But one of the big questions as we think about the selection of deacons is whether deacons can be female or not. It's an important question. It's a perplexing question and requires a careful evaluation of the biblical text. So the scripture is clear that the position of elder is reserved for men. And there are a few reasons for this, but first, let me give you a few, that Paul gives the qualification for verse for, for elders in chapter 3, verse 2, just a few verses earlier, right? And he makes it quite clear that the elders are to be the husband of one wife. Better translated, elders are to be one woman men, right? They have one woman man. They devoted to one woman. 
So in addition, immediately before the text, right? So if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, the chapter preceding this one, Paul makes the connection between teaching and authority, teaching and authority. And he is arguing from God's created design for male and female. Look at what Paul states in verse, chapter 2, verse 12 of 1 Timothy. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then he goes right into the qualifications of elders shortly after that, right? So elders are required to be men. Why? Because they are the authoritative shepherd leaders of the church who lead the church through the teaching of the scriptures. So leadership and authority in the church, Paul says, must reflect God's created design for the roles of men and women. So the, the position of elder, which is the teaching, an authoritative pastoral position in the church, Paul's quite clear that that's reserved for men. However, the question of female deacons requires a little bit of nuance, requires some careful thinking, because a lot of churches make the mistake, as I've alluded to already this morning, of structuring their deacons a lot like elders ought to be structured, right? And giving the deacons the authority of spiritual leadership in the church. This is particularly the case with those of us who've been in Southern Baptist churches, the way it's been done in recent decades. And so the deacons are kind of structured almost like pseudo elders. And if the church is structured this way, then I would say that that it is not permissible to have female deacons if your church designs deacons like pseudo elders. You're confusing the biblical terminology a little bit there, right? But as the more I've studied the New Testament, I think if you define the, the deacon in the way I've tried to describe from Acts chapter 6 this morning, then I've become convinced that female deacons are permissible and even encouraged in the role if we define deacons as the on-the-ground servants of the church, right? Not as a board, not as an authoritative group, but as the on-the-ground, get-things-done members of the church. Deacons don't wield any spiritual authority. They don't teach in any capacity and authority over others. Rather, they provide leadership to the practical areas of need in the church. And so if we want to put into practice the biblical pattern for deacons in the New Testament, I mean, there's a lot of jobs that can be done. There's a lot of jobs that need to be done. And a lot of those jobs could be just as done as well by a woman. And some jobs would be done better by a woman than, than men, right? So the Lord has given spiritual gifts to our sisters as well, and to not give them an opportunity to exercise their gifts in a way that honors the Lord, I think would be a great loss to the church and to the congregation. But where's the textual evidence for this, right? What, is the, what does the Bible say about this? Well, it's a bit of a struggle as we try to unpack because the scripture doesn't you know, very clearly state this out for us. We have to kind of read carefully at the New Testament text. So the New Testament shows us that female deacons existed. So let me show you two places, right? First is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Hopefully you still have that open. But look, look at the qualifications of deacons we just read in 1 Timothy 3 and look at verse 11 of that passage. It says, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, Paul's word choice here for their wives is a little vague. The phrase, their wives, most literally would be translated, women, likewise. In fact, if you look at the little footnote in your Bible, chances are it's got that alternate translation there, women, likewise. And as I read the text, I think this makes the most sense 
of how to translate this phrase. It's not referring to the wives of deacons, but to women who serve in this office, verse 11 does. So this word does not necessarily refer to the spouse of a deacon, but I think verse 11 specifically states qualifications that Paul gives to women who would serve as deacons. In addition, it would be strange, wouldn't it? For Paul to give qualifications for a deacon's wife, but to give no extra qualification to an elder's wife. Doesn't that seem a little backwards? So it seems like the most common sense reading would be this is referring to women who serve in the office of deacons. Second, we also see a a female deacon mentioned by name at the end of the book of Romans. So you don't have to turn there, but you could write it down or you can turn there if you'd like. That's fine. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul's writing again kind of his concluding remarks to the letter. And in Romans 16, verse 1, he writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea. So that word, a servant, is the word deacon. So again, it could be translated really easily. I commend you our sister Phoebe, a deacon, deaconess of the church, right? The word servant is deacon. So what do we make on this issue of female deacons? Well, from the scriptures, I'm convinced that if you designed the diaconate as the servants of the church to care for the practical needs of the body, then I think the Bible permits women to take on this role of deacon or being a deaconess. Remember, deacons are not the leaders of the ministry, nor do they wield authority over men in any capacity when it comes to the teaching and ministry of God's word. So the office of deacon wields no spiritual authority of the church. Deacons are the servants. They're the -the on-the-ground people who get things done in the church. So what about deacons at redemption? As we think through this, the leadership team has had a lot of conversations about the deacons, and I think this has been one of the, the more fun conversations for us to have because we're still trying to figure out How are deacons going to look in action at redemption? Because the the scriptures give us a lot of freedom as we think through that and put the diaconate in place. So the leadership team right now, you can be praying for us, right? We're putting together our bylaws, which will, will help provide clarity for how deacons will be selected and what that process will look like. And again, we're hoping to present those bylaws to you uh, early in July. However, we will probably have none, if any, deacons when we constitute, right? We're going to give it time to let those deacon positions kind of naturally reveal themselves as the church stabilizes and matures. So in general, we will look to form a deacon position when there's a volunteer position that requires the coordination of other volunteers or people. So pray for us as we think through this. Again, we're trying to be faithful to the scriptures. We're trying to be honoring to God's word as we think through the the diaconate and who the deacon and deaconesses of the church need to be. But pray for us that as the church grows and matures, that there would be many people ready and willing of strong Christian character who are eager to serve and eager to meet the needs of the body. So let's return to Acts chapter 6. Now that we've looked at the selecting of the deacons, And let's consider now the fruit of the deacons in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. So if we have a a wonderful, thriving deacon ministry at Redemption Church, what's the result of that? What, What happens? How does God bless the church when we have good and godly deacons serving the tangible needs of the body? Well, the church set aside these seven men to serve as deacons. Again, they prayed for them. They laid their hands on them, and they said, guys, get to work. So the crisis 
of unity in the church was diverted by the raising up of these deacons. They helped the apostles, right, to be able to devote their attention to the ministry of the word of God and prayer. And Luke makes it clear as he's writing Acts the result of a healthy deacon ministry. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, a church that is well served by faithful deacons will see the church grow in maturity, and they'll see the work of the ministry of the word of God expand further and further. People will come to know Christ. The deacons do the hard work that needs to be done so that the church can focus on its mission, not its operation. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the, the work of the deacons is incredibly important. Coordinating children's volunteers, ordering books for the book table, recruiting people to help out with the, self up te- the set-up teams, setting up communion, administrating the church's finances. All of that is very important work. That's deacon-type work, right? But it's, it's important work that needs to be done. They are crucial for ensuring that the church can fulfill its mission. However, the mistake I think a lot of churches make, and we have to be cautious of, right, is that the administration of the church is not the goal. The goal is not to have the church operating like a well-oiled machine. It's funny how a church can become so complex with committees and structures and people in place that it's like everyone in the church is spending all of their efforts and energy on maintaining the institution rather than advancing the gospel mission. Right? Good deacons help handle the operations of the church and serve in the church so that the elders and the members can focus on what's really most important, which is the word of God advancing in our community. Good deacons work in coordination with the church's elders so that the church can grow and flourish and thrive. Deacons who are efficient and effective will be used by God to build a healthy, strong, and stable church that is aligned for advancing the gospel in our city. So even though deacons are specifically set aside for the task of serving in the church, we don't need to have this attitude, well, if I'm not a deacon, I'm not serving, right? Everybody in the church serves. The elders serve. They deacon the word. The deacons serve. They deacon in all sorts of ways. And and then the membership of the church helps the deacons make sure their ministries operate and are effective. We volunteer. We help out. Every member serves in a capacity. So being, even though we set aside certain people for the task of being a deacon in the church, being a servant requires that all of us, right, that we humbly, as we read from Philippians 2 earlier, right, we humble ourselves, we serve one another, we look to others' interests above our own. You see, we follow in the pattern of Jesus Christ. We look to serve the body. So all of us should be asking, how how has the Lord gifted me to be able to build up the church and to advance the gospel? How can I be used to advance the mission of Redemption Church, which is really the Great Commission, to, to see people come to know Christ, to see the gospel advance? You see, good deacons are those who reflect the heart of Christ Jesus himself, his servant heart. And how is Jesus a servant to us? Well, he he entered into the world. He came into the world as a humble servant, so much so that Jesus gave up his own life upon the cross for our redemption, so that by his blood, by his wounds, we might be healed. So those who confess their sins 
and repent of them and trust in faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the ministry of his service. Remember, Jesus comes as the one who washes our feet. He humbles himself as a servant or a slave would, right? He humbles himself in such a way, but we must let him wash our feet. Remember, Peter didn't want him to let him do that. He said, Jesus, you're not, you're not supposed to be doing this. But if we hope to be saved, we must humbly receive the service of Christ. We must let him be our servant to us, washing our feet, atoning for our sins. We must receive him in faith. And so as we receive the ministry of Christ, the servant heart of Christ, his ministry to us, then in turn, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve in the same way Christ has served us. We give up our lives. We give up our wants. We give up our desires for others' goods. We serve because Christ has served us first. So for those of us who are most eager to serve the people of God, the church may very well set you aside to be a deacon in the church. And if the time comes for you to be called upon to serve at redemption in whatever capacity that the Lord might call you to be served, will you be ready to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the same manner that he has served you? Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we're so thankful for the servant heart of Christ. Lord, we know that he deaconed us. He served us. He waited on us. He gave up himself for us upon the cross so that we might be forgiven and redeemed and washed clean. And Lord, we know that for those of us who come to Christ in faith, we have been empowered by your spirit to serve others, to serve Christ, to serve the body of Christ. Father, I pray that everyone who would be a member of Redemption Church would be eager to serve in the church. And Father, that as particular needs arise, where there's a, a need for a set-aside deacon for that particular task, Lord, that you would guide us in wisdom in determining who would be best for that particular role, and that the members of Redemption would be eager to rise up to the challenge and to deacon, to serve in that capacity. Father, we pray that again, as we consider how your church is to be governed and led, as we've thought these last two weeks on the position of elders and deacons from your scripture, Lord, I know a lot of us are looking to your New Testament, to your word with fresh eyes when it comes to the leadership of the church. Father, it is my prayer, Lord, that we wouldn't allow our past presuppositions and ideas of what the church ought to look like or what it was like when we grew up, Lord, that that wouldn't determine how Redemption Church is being formed and constituted and governed, but Lord, that your scripture would guide us in all things. We want to be faithful to your word. Your word is the authority. So Lord, as we look to prepare and design our bylaws of how our church will be governed and led. We pray that you would be with us as a leadership team and be with those who would be the founding members of Redemption Church, that as we affirm and accept a, a constitution and bylaws that accurately, accurately picture what the New Testament describes concerning these offices. Father, we pray that you would help us be faithful to your word. We know that a church that is well-led, that is well-governed, that is well-structured according to your word will be a church that is ready to thrive and to grow and to multiply. 
Father, we pray that you would do that for us, that, Lord, as we prepare to covenant and constitute together, as we enter into the fall, we pray that there would be rapid multiplication. Lord, that as the church grows and expands, that many people would come to know Christ in the city of Wilson. And, Lord, that as the church expands, Lord, that there would be a greater need for others, for deacons to come and to help and to serve the body. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, as we continue our worship this morning, we sing praise to you for your glorious grace and your service to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.